been such a burden on my heart this week to see so much accolades, so much adoration given to one man, when my heart is so much burdened that people make much of Christ, that they adore him, that we revere Christ. He is the only mediator between God and man. And so, Father, it's for your glory that we pray today. Hallowed be your name. We pray that people will, will hallow your name, not the name of some other person who just is alive for a while and then they die. But, Lord, you are the living one, the one who's come up from the dead, the one who can only save, you're the only one who can save from sin. And so, Lord, it's with that desire we pray that you'd help us to continue to train up and build disciples here who will treasure and live out and proclaim the gospel for the glory of your name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, as we seek to do that, even now as we proclaim the word, may you take your word, apply it to our hearts, and enable us to be people who are celebrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is the proper protocol for greeting the people that you meet each week? Do you say to people, howdy, y'all? Is that what you do when you meet people here? I don't think so. I've I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that since I moved to Long Island. One of the things we noticed when we moved here is, of course, we have to follow the customs and the norms of the place you live. I noticed it's fairly uh, customary for uh, men and women, when they greet each other, to just uh, sort of have the old uh, halfway hug and sort of cheek to cheek. And uh, that I had to learn to do that. That was not customary to me in my, my culture growing up. Uh, but there are many different kinds of culture. And of course, men usually extend the right hand. Sometimes we'll draw people in with their other hand uh, as we shake for firm grip on the right hand. I remember Peter Wolfing uh, saying to me years ago when he got used to the Swiss culture, of course, he married a Swiss woman, dear Fran. And while he was there in Switzerland, he, he noticed that the men and women greet each other uh, cheek to cheek, not once, not twice, but three times is their customary way of doing it. And in some parts, of course, of New Zealand and around the world, people have all sorts of different customs when it comes to greeting people. Matter of fact, in New Zealand, I'm told that there's sometimes it's common to greet other people by the rubbing of noses. That's what they do among some of their. And then there's this outrageous practice among the many Tibetans who years ago thought that one of the ways to put people at ease is to let them know that you're not carrying some kind of evil spirit or some kind of evil disease. So you open your mouth, you stick your tongue out at each other. That's the way they greet each other. Please don't do that to me, but I'm just telling you, that's the way in their culture that they greet each other. I'm still not used to, although it has become part of the culture here in certain parts of New York area, greater metropolitan area, that there are some people who don't want to greet you, right? They do not make eye contact with you. And they make it very clear, I don't want to see you, I don't want to speak to you, I don't want to acknowledge you exist, don't get in my face, right? Sometimes my wife and I will take a walk uh, up at West Meadow Beach and we'll say, say to people, they're walking the opposite way, we're walking this way, you know, we'll say, hello, how are you? Nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I must have spoken to the bird or something. I mean, I, you know, it's like strange thing, but it happens. And what do you feel when you say that? You just say, okay, it must be the culture. Some people are that way, they don't know us, whatever. Well, how we greet people 
in many ways reveals how we view them. The people who don't say anything are saying what? You don't mean anything to me. I don't want anything to do with you, so leave me alone, right? And how you speak to someone or how you greet them reveals a lot about what in your heart is your view of that person. And so therefore, if that's true, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. It shouldn't be alarming and somehow, you know, amazing to us that we would, in studying these reciprocal principles, which I'm, again, are nothing more than the one another commands in the New Testament that are merely specific practical examples of how to love and express appropriate love to other people, particularly the members of the body of Christ. And so if we ignore other people or overlook the people that we are meeting and encountering in public situations, if we are not speaking to them, clearly that would seem to indicate that it's the opposite of what love in our heart would compel us to do. Even if you're shy, even if you're a little reticent, you've got to admit that if you don't speak to anyone and you just go out and you're mingling with people, you don't ever say hello to someone, you've got to say, what's in that person's heart? They really care more about themselves than they do anybody else, right? Well, the Apostle Paul, if you have your Bible, we're looking at Romans chapter 16. I don't have time to read the whole chapter here. That's page 1355 in your pew Bible. On your tablet, it's a couple of touches away. I'm sure you're already there, probably. Romans 16, he devotes almost an entire chapter of his letter to the Romans, devoted to, a lot of it is, his desire to express specific greetings to a number of different Christians and people that he knows in various churches, various uh, uh, parts of that church there in Rome. And so he's saying, be sure to greet so-and-so, greet these people, greet this guy, greet this lady. He's calling them out by name. Be sure to give greetings to them. And then he stops and changes gears halfway through, and he says, and the people with me want to be sure that they've given their greetings. So he says, on behalf of this guy and this lady and this person, be sure to give greetings to those in the church in Rome. And really what we're going to focus on today is verse 16 because all these names are very hard to pronounce, and uh, so I'm not going to try to mangle up all these names here, but you will see them listed there. Very, he's calling people by name. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. What an interesting portion of Scripture. You say, well, boy, you've really gotten way out now. You're going to do a whole sermon on that verse? Give me a break. Well, let me just remind you here, back up, and let's get a bigger perspective here in the New Testament. It's not just once that we find a verse like this. There are four different times in the New Testament we are reminded to be sure to greet other Christians, other brothers and sisters in Christ. For example, 1 Peter 5.14, we read, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Then we have 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And then we add to that 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So what I'm suggesting to you is that I'm not trying to overemphasize something. It's already emphasized clearly in the text of Scripture how important it is to be those who greet others uh, that we know and love because of the gospel. So what I'm going to talk about this morning, 
thinking about God's love and thinking about the gospel and therefore how that intersects with greeting other people that we know and meet. Here's my first point. The gospel celebrates the gracious greeting that sinners receive from God on the basis of Jesus Christ. The gospel celebrates the gracious greeting that sinners receive from God on the basis of Jesus Christ. Let's think about Christ for a moment and think about what the gospel says about Christ. Christ, who existed from eternity, has always existed, leaves his glory, comes down into this world on a rescue mission. The world that he has created, the world that has initially was good, has gone south and everything has become out of order and distorted. And so the king of the universe enters into this world, the world that he made, as a humble, helpless baby. You would think that he would have received a warm welcome from everyone who encountered him. But we read in John's Gospel that Jesus Christ came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. Here is Jesus who legitimately deserved to be greeted, <clears throat> to be welcomed by every person with some form of homage. They should have got down prostrate before him and just sort of said, it's so great to meet you. It's so, I'm so privileged to be in your presence. You're the one who created everything. Here is Jesus, the one who owns everything that exists. All that you have, all that I have. Imagine if he comes in to this room. But the reality is that Jesus Christ is among us and with us, and yet what have we done toward him in our lives? If we're honest, we would have to say all of us have in different ways and different attitudes and different responses. We have all rudely shunned him. Rather than lowering ourselves before him as a gesture of respect and honor that he deserves, all of us have pushed him aside and we have turned our back on him and we have indicated to him there is someone or something more important than you are in my life. You're really not that significant to me. And some of us, like Judas, may have greeted Jesus at one time in our life. We may have saluted him and expressed to him that we are devoted to him and loyal to him. But our actions clearly have betrayed him in a grievous way. Which raises the question, if that is true, what kind of greeting, then, should we expect to receive if we ever come into the presence of God? And this is where the gospel becomes truly amazing. <laughs> it's amazing because it is true that we have treated God in that way. And what we deserve to receive when we encounter the true and living God, the holy God, the one who made all things, the gospel celebrates this amazing grace filled greeting that is extended to sinners they receive this kind of grieving why as they come repentant as they come acknowledging that they don't deserve to receive any kind of favor or, or any kind of forgiveness we come to god through jesus christ and all the amazing welcome we receive even though we deserve to be shunned or condemned by god 
The gospel says that we can come to him through Christ, and Christ extends to his arms of grace to those of us who have refused his kingship again and again and again. The Bible says that every sinner who is worn out, who is heavily, heavily burdened and just sort of fatigued and just ready to give up this idea of trying to improve themselves and trying to become a better person, someone who's trying to perform better than we've always actually performed and we know that we've goofed up and messed up and we're trying to act better. Jesus extends his nail-scarred hands to those of us who are weary of trying to get our act together. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek, humble in heart, gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. What a greeting we receive in the gospel from the one from whom we don't deserve it. Jesus welcomes repentant sinners. Don't ever forget that. The gospel records that time when Jesus was visiting the town of Jericho. If you had asked anybody in the whole town, I'll ask you, who is the most corrupt, most hated, most despised, most dishonest, most greedy person in this town? Who would they have said? Everybody would have known. Zacchaeus. Ugh. Even to say his name is to feel this sense of revulsion in your sense because you know he's ripping everybody off and he's filthy rich. And here's this height-challenged man. It's another way of saying he's short, short in stature. Luke 19. He's intrigued about this Jesus, and so he climbs a tree so he can have a better perspective and see him and so he doesn't get lost in the crowd because nobody wants to give him anything. Nobody's going to give him room. Nobody's going to show him any courtesy. They all hate him. He's an outcast, socially, for sure. And Jesus looks up at him, notices him among all of the other people in the throng of the crowd, and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down there quickly. I'm going to your house today. That is the welcome of gospel grace that comes through Jesus Christ. One of the reasons I have us reading this parable of the two brothers, and by the way, that's a better title for the parable in Luke 15. It's not just the prodigal son. It's not just about the son, my friends. There's a whole other angle here. It's the, prodigal of two, the, the, the parable of two brothers. Anyway, Luke 15, Jesus responds in telling these three parables of Luke 15. He's dealing with criticism, criticism that says, Give me a break. This guy welcomes sinners. He welcomes people who, whose behavior is outrageous, who do things that are clearly displeasing to God. They're people whose lives are out of control, immoral, disgusting. And Jesus is welcoming them as they come repentant toward him and to the kingdom. So Jesus tells us absolutely astonishing story. It's a story that would have left everybody shocked, Everyone's stunned. He describes this highly unlikely scenario in which this runaway son, a son who has demanded that he get his inheritance before his father even died. That is the worst of all worst things you could possibly do. It means, I wish you were dead. I have no value for you at all. 
Just give me your money. It's all I care about. So he takes his money. He's wasted away. He has dishonored his father. He has shamed his family. He's, he's brought shame and, and, uh, and dishonor to everyone in his family. He returns home after a long period of time, a broken man, not wanting to be a son, but just wanting to earn some kind of pit, a small amount of food and something to survive on as his father's slave. Now, what the text doesn't say is what most cultures of that time, in Jesus' time, what they would have done to that son as he came in there publicly is the town, town um, fathers, all of the leading people of that community, they would have taken that guy and grabbed him and gone out and they would have beaten him up like you wouldn't know. Say, how could you dare treat your father like that? But Jesus doesn't say that in the story. He says the exact opposite. Here in this shame-based culture, here's the son who, I mean, here's the son coming full of shame and disgrace, and here's the father doing what? While he sees his son a far way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and did what? He ran, ran toward him, and then did what? Even more astonishing, even more outrageous is that he not only runs to him, which we don't do in that culture, you don't see a grown man running, which by the way, it would expose his legs, which was even more outrageous at that time. You don't do that kind of thing. He embraces his son and kisses him, and the text says again and again and again and again. He would have, he would have completely just stunned his audience to tell that story. See, the gospel insists that Jesus embraces every repentant sinner and bestows undeserved honors and privileges on them. His heart dearly loves the wayward who come home. Just this past week, I watched an incredible video online that showed uh, some friends of ours, some missionary friends of ours, who were here back in the States. And these folks are standing in a bus station, a Greyhound bus station in Virginia, and they're waiting, and this bus has pulled in. You can see the video. Somebody is videotaping the mother and the father. They're standing there. The mother's got a sign up. And they're waiting on their son to come out of this bus. Now, if you know the background story, it just looks like here's a grown son. He's like 20-some years old. He's going to come out of that bus in just a second. You're going to see these people embrace and hug. But if you know the background story, it is incredibly sad. Here's the missionary couple who have served faithfully planting churches over in the, in, in the Pacific, in islands over there, in Indonesia. And their son who entered the military, United States military, was involved in an armed robbery of a bank while he was in the military. He pleaded guilty. He had just served nine years in the penitentiary. And all that time, the father has been wearing on his wrist the watch that belonged to his son, reminding him the time will come when his son will finally be released and to pray for him the whole time. Never did his mother and father give up on him. Never did they just, just sort of leave it as a secret in the family. We're not going to talk about this. They prayed and asked people to pray for him. 
They couldn't spend time with him. He was far away. I don't know how many privileges he had visiting. Anyway, the point is, here's the son. He comes off the bus. And his father comes right over to him and embraces him and hugs him. The mother does the same thing. And in the background, this incredible music of, of, you know, welcome home, welcome home, whatever it is. I don't know, some kind of song. Brought tears to my eyes. If you know the story, you're saying, this is the embrace of grace. They're not sitting here saying, you're no longer our son. They're saying, oh, son, we love you no matter what. Welcome to our love. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are mine. You see, Jesus is trying to portray the gospel in this powerful way, in this story, to try to help us understand it is amazing the kind of welcome he gives to sinners who don't deserve it. But he says that if you come to Christ and you say, I don't deserve, I have failed, I have messed up my life, Jesus comes and his arms of grace are extended to you. He says, you are forgiven because of me. You are loved because of me. You're mine. I died for you. I've been raised to life for you. I say to you today, my friend, are you here this morning and you're afraid to die? Are you here today and you have a reticence about the thought of leaving this world and appearing before the God of the universe and having to stand there and say, I wonder what kind of greeting I'm going to get from God. He's going to let me have it. My friend, in the gospel, you can say, now's the day to repent. Now's the day to come to Christ on his terms in which you say, I have messed up. I don't deserve to be your child. I come asking for forgiveness. I come pleading for the Savior to, give, to rescue me from my sin. And guess what? Come to Christ. Come as you are, the Bible says. The hymn, 306, if you got it there in front of you in your, in your pew, take out that hymnal, 306. I used to hear this song all the time when I was growing up. Don't sing it much anymore by Charlotte Elliott. 306, just as I am. <laughs> The last stanza says this, Just as I am, you, the Lord, you, God, you will receive. You will receive me as I am. I'm all messed up. I have a terrible track record. I've got all kinds of things that I don't want people to know about. You will receive. You will welcome. You will pardon. You will cleanse. You will relieve. Why? Because your promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Have you come to Christ? You say, oh, I don't know what kind of reception. My friend, that is the reception you'll receive if you come acknowledging your need for a Savior. I wonder what kind of mental image do some of us who are Christians, what kind of mental image do you have of Jesus Christ as He looks at you every day? When you think of getting up in the morning and you begin your day and you say, okay, Lord Jesus, I come to you. What kind of mental image do you have of Christ? Think about what, how, what kind of view he would have of you. Do you see him standing there wagging his finger at you for all you did yesterday or did not do yesterday that you should have done? Or many yesterdays ago, still seeing the Lord Jesus wagging his finger at you? Are you reticent to come to Jesus Christ day after day because you keep saying to yourself, I'm a nobody. I have no significant areas of my life to commend to other people or to Christ. I'm a person who has a bad reputation. I've screwed up in my life. 
Maybe you say to yourself, I have a nagging sense that I will never measure up. I will never become the person I know I should be. Guess what? Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Those are the people that need to come to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I am that way, and therefore I need saving. Thank you for dying for me. I encourage us to lift up our eyes. Enter into the loving embrace of grace extended to you on the basis of what Christ has done for you. He loves you as you are, not because you're going to get your act together. He loves you as you are. So therefore I say to you, claim the promise of John 6, 37. If you don't know this verse, if you have not underlined this verse in your Bible, meditate on this verse. Think about it. Pray over it. John 6, 37. It's John Bunyan wrote an entire book on this one verse. He says, the one who comes to me, Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. That is the welcome of grace, my friends. That is the welcome of grace. It is Isaiah 55. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And let him return to the Lord. That is the gospel. It calls us to repent. It calls us to turn away from our sin and to come to Christ. And then what does it say? And he, that is the Lord, will have compassion on that person, for he will, what? Abundantly pardon. That is the welcome of grace. <laughs> the gospel welcome of God. Now, I'm aware that there are some of us here who may be going through all the motions. And we come across as a person who is religious. You're here in a church. I mean, that's what religious people do, right? And you may have a part of yourself in which you say, well, I, I sort of go through the motions, but I don't really have a love for Christ. I don't really, I've never really been honest with God. I've never really humbled myself. I've never really surrendered to Him. I've just always sort of done what I thought other people thought I should be doing. But let me warn you this morning, if you're here and you're just a religious person who's only just pretending that you're following Christ, that you're surrendered to Him, you've never humbled yourself, you've never confessed your sins to God, you've never admitted you have a need for a Savior, you've never come and said, Lord Jesus, I have nothing to offer you but only my sin and I receive from you the righteousness of Christ. If you've never come and you're just going through the motions and you keep putting it off and saying, I don't want to deal with it yet, May I remind you and warn you, you are still in your sins. And therefore, Matthew 7 reminds us that you should not be surprised if you come to Jesus having been playing games and just going through the motions and never honestly acknowledging your need for his saving grace and for his work on the cross for you because you know that you need to have those sins paid for and you've never realized that his being raised from the dead was for you to prove that your sins were truly fully paid for. Jesus will say to you, and I say this as a word of warning, the greeting that you will receive from Jesus on that day, if you never repent, if you never place your faith in Christ, is Jesus will say, I never knew you. He will say to you, depart from me. Because guess what? He's only doing what you've asked for and what you've preferred all your life. 
Because if you've been giving Jesus the stiff arm, if you've been saying, I don't want anything to do with you, I'm not committing myself to you, I'm not going to surrender myself to you, I don't need you, I can handle life on my own, then Jesus says, depart from me, then be your own. And then he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If you don't want to follow my ways, you don't want to submit to me, you don't recognize that you're a person who's gone astray, depart from me. My friend, don't be a fool. Come to Christ. Find the welcome of grace today and receive Christ, I urge you. I could go on another hour on that point, but I want to move to the second point here. And that is that the gospel motivates ongoing grace-filled greetings of sinners who've been saved by grace. <laughs> the gospel motivates us. The welcoming grace that we've received from Christ is to motivate and give us a motivating grace that wants and compels us to greet other people out of a sense of wonder that Christ has greeted me so graciously, I want to do the same with others around me. Now, if you look at Romans 16, it's very obvious, if you really get to reading through all of the different greetings there that, and realize what's going on in the New Testament, many of these letters that we receive here as the, part of the books of the New Testament, many of them are written to local churches by apostles or people associated with the apostles. This particular letter, Paul is writing to the church of Rome. He's never been there, yet he knows a lot of these people. And this particular church, it has some issues, as every church has issues. This particular church is a divided church with two segments, two factions, two groups. There are people who have been following the law and all the regulations of the law who are Jewish in background and now believers. And then there's a whole group of people who were the pagans, the people who didn't follow and grow up learning all of the things of the, uh, the old covenant and did not go to all of the uh, the uh, annual feasts, and didn't follow all the regulations of the laws. And so these two different groups are coming together now in the gospel in this church in Rome. And if you read certain parts of the book, you can tell Paul's speaking to these problems, chapters 14 and 15 particularly. Anyway, Paul then urges these people. He knows that this is going on. So what does he say to them? He says, listen, I'm telling all you people there in that part of that church, make up that church. Verse 16, I want you to greet each other with a holy kiss. He's saying, I want you to accept, I want you to affirm that you have accepted and love all of the different members of this church. Don't allow yourself to only have an affinity with people who are like you. That is, all the pagans who have come to Christ, they hang out with each other, and all the people who have been following carefully the Jewish law all their life, and the Jewish, they are over here with that group. No, he says, be sure to greet everybody. So what I've said here is that the, the gospel then motivates us to greet each other impartially. Impartially. That is, without favorites. Philippians 4.21, another interesting verse. Philippians 4.21 says, Greet every saint in Christ. He doesn't say, greet your favorite and your uh, the people that, that you like who like you. That just hang out with those and greet those people. No, so believers are not to play favorites when it comes to greeting each other. 
We're not to ignore certain believers just because they may, they're different than you are or uh, somehow you don't have the same background, uh, you know, or you weren't born in the same decade because of age. You just don't speak to the folks who are younger than you. Or you're young and you don't speak to the people who are older than you. He says, no, that's not the way the church is. He says, we greet each other as members of our church family, the ones we encounter each Sunday, because we want to communicate our mutual respect and the gospel love that's in our hearts. We want to make sure that that's communicated to the people around us. Now, some of you may be wondering, I had an interesting conversation recently with someone who was asking me a question. You know, why is it that in our church that we used to have a, we included a time of greeting in our order of service. Remember that? And we used to do it every week, uh, and it was something that we did in our corporate gatherings, and we no longer do that. And so the question was, why is that? And so I offered these two answers, and I want to tell you what the two reasons were. Number one, the greeting time that we included at one time, it morphed. It transformed. It took on a life of its own. And it became a time in which it, it, there were extended conversations going on that were going on and on and on instead of a greeting of good morning, nice to see you, how are you doing? It became, and then I said, and then she said, and then I did, I don't know what it was going on, but I mean, it was just like, it was just a full-blown conversation that went on and on. And so we were having a challenging time drawing things back into what we were doing and people were still talking through the next song. Now, that's, that's, not, that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. It's a good thing they want to talk. That's good. We want them to greet each other. But it became a difficult thing. But the second reason, and this is much more significant. We discovered as elders that one of the most uncomfortable times for a visitor or someone who's new into the fellowship is a time of greeting. They don't know anybody. So if you have an extended time of people talking and 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 you're standing there, you don't know anybody. And so you're thinking, when are we going to get on with this thing? So it became, it, we became aware of how that's not perceived by those who are visiting as a, as a helpful moment. It was a difficult moment for them. Now, whether that's true of people's experience or your experience, I don't know, but that's what we learned. And so we decided to forego those formal times of greeting not because we don't think it's important to greet, but what our prayer is, is that you will make sure that you take the time to greet the people before you come. Come, by the way, come early enough so you can greet people. If you come in late and you're scrambling coming in the door, you sit down in the you know, second song, you don't have a time to greet anybody. So getting here early, by the way, if you come at 930, you're always on time. Just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So if you come early enough, you can greet people, and then also that you can take a moment and say, I want to be sure to reach out and say hello to this person afterwards and say hello to them and welcome them on your own initiative. And then you can talk as long as you want. Or they, if, they got, if they have to go, they can go and say, I'm so sorry, i got to go. Fine, okay. So we're not against greeting. We just decided not to make it a formal greeting within the context of the order of service, okay? Now, secondly... We are to not only be impartially greeting others, but secondly, the gospel motivates us in our greeting of other people to do so in a personal way. A personal way. Third John 
has a verse in it. The third epistle of John is a letter he wrote. Verse 14 says, Greet the friends by name. Greet the friends by name. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit, learning names is something I find very hard to do. And then remembering those names. I mean, I can hear the name, I can ask for the name, but remembering the name is challenging. It's not easy. It requires effort on my part, perhaps on yours as well. There's no way to measure, though, the full impact of making a personal greeting. If you remember somebody's name, it's amazing what impact that has on the person who has just been greeted by name. Some of you may not, uh, you may know firsthand the awkward experience of maybe going to a new church at some point in your life, or you've gone to some group somewhere, and you, and you go in there, and you've been there a number of times, and nobody speaks to you, and nobody knows who you are, even though you've been there a number of times, you've been introduced, and they don't remember your name. You feel as though you're just a face in the crowd. You're just a nobody in the sea of saints, as it were. But what an amazing difference it makes when people take the time to get to know you and you're able to call your name. And I must say, I have to work on, and this is an area i got to work on, I, I try to write names down at the door. If I meet somebody, I don't, what's your name again? So I write it down so I can try to remember that name and so I can look at it later. And then also, i got to work on kids' names. I'm not good with kids sometimes. I sometimes forget, oh, yeah, what's the name of this little guy? So I try to work on it. But, you know, when I want to commend people when it comes to greeting, I, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge how blessed we are as a church to have had for years Gene Condy and Sid Williams standing out there in the foyer, welcoming, saying hello, joking with, calling the names out, learning the names of children, young people, and adults. Not just occasionally, for years. Now what does that say? They are modeling for us that the value that the Scripture places on the gospel that says the gospel that God has shown to me, the grace that God has shown to me in the gospel that says I am received and welcomed and loved by God. Therefore, I want to make sure that I'm expressing that to people that I may not know. And anybody I meet, I want to be sure they're welcomed and warmly received. At one time, we used to have a greeting ministry. I don't know what happened to it, but somehow it's gone along the way here. It was people who were designed to try to greet people at at the uh, before the service and after the service kind of thing. But, you know, if you ever feel led to do that, looking particularly for new people, looking for people who might sort of wander their way. Have you ever seen in the back, you, you're, some of you are here talking to each other, and that's great, but there are some people that are here, and they make their way, they just walk through the groups of people and out the door. And those are the people that I'm trying to say, ooh, I'd love to shake your hand and say, hello, how are you? And uh, so if you ever want to do that, feel free to, you know, let us know if you're interested in that. And, and when you meet somebody, you introduce yourself to them, say, hey, I am, and then say your name so they can hear it and understand it, and then say, what's your name? And if you're like me, I write it down. I can't remember. I'm terrible at names. I am. I'm, it's really hard. And then next time you see them, guess what? Oh, it would be wonderful if you were able to call that name. Say, hi, how are you, Bill, Susan, whatever your name is. And you say, oh, I've met him, and then my mind goes blank. Guess what I do? I just say, oh, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten your name. Would you remind me again? I admit it. I've forgotten. Can you tell me again? And there have been some people I've asked them, I'm sorry, eight times, ten times, I don't know. 
And I've still been writing it down. I still didn't get that name down. I'm still going to keep trying. Why? Because I want to know that name. I want to be able to say personally, hi, how are you? I don't think any of us will ever know on this side of eternity how a simple personal greeting may impact another person's life for good and the glory of God. I don't think you'll ever know it. It's a, it's a good goal to pursue. Real quickly, as I looked at this text in Romans 16, verse 16, would you notice what comes the next verse? He says, greet one another, holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, what's the next word? Brethren, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. And so he's given a word to remind them. He's speaking to them as what? A family. And so my third point here, greeting one another with a holy kiss may have been the apostles' way of calling these brothers and sisters in Christ to show their familial affection. It's a familial thing. You do it as a family. We are celebrating the fact that we belong to each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, when we greet each other, we do so in a way in which we honor God. That's why he calls it a holy greeting. It is set apart. It's not some inappropriate way of expressing affection to someone. Please don't kiss me on the mouth. That's not appropriate, okay? He's saying, show me affection that says I value as a person that's culturally appropriate in this context. And he says, listen, you're brothers and sisters. I think this is fascinating because if you know the background of what was happening in this church, many of the people who had joined the church because of their relatives who have understood that they have now turned their back against what they were raised to think and to believe and to practice, those families have said what? We are no longer family to you. We have cut ourselves off from you. We have nothing to do with you anymore. Many of these people who have joined this church have no longer any biological family to be a part of. And so Paul's saying, listen, when you greet each other, you are the family. You think that would have meant a lot to the person to have greeted that way? You better believe it. They are not alone. They are beloved members of the family of God. Now, real quickly, I have one more thought here. It's not in your outline, but you ought to add it to your outline somewhere. As I've thought and meditated on these truths, I've realized that a simple, sincere greeting of people can be a powerful tool and opportunity to see a door open for the gospel beyond the family of God. Follow me here. Let's think about now outside of our corporate gatherings. How do I greet and how do I interact with the people around me that come across my path in any given day? I'm not suggesting you need to go up and kiss people. Okay? That, don't hear me saying that. Appropriately expressing a greeting to them in what's suitable and appropriate at the time. But this might be a way which God can open doors of opportunity for gospel witness. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at Acts 8. You've got Philip who is intersecting in his life. He didn't, he didn't know that was going to happen that day. Here comes a guy uh, from Egypt, and he's coming back from Jerusalem, and he's in this chariot, and they encounter each other, and he says, hey, man, you having a hard time understanding what you're reading? He greets them. He interacts with this guy, and through that, here comes the gospel witness. I want to share with you some fascinating thoughts uh, from a fellow who wrote this book, 
Let me show it to you. It's called John Leonard's book called Get Real. But the top of the, of the uh, book starts this. It goes, get better, get perfect, get done, get right, get going. Each time he's got a red line through it and finally says, get real. In other words, you don't have to be a perfect person to share your faith. That's what this book is about. This guy, he's speaking for me. I see myself in his writing. Listen to what he says. He says, for many of us, we don't see ourselves as sowing the seeds of the gospel very widely because we keep thinking we're trying to reach people who are like us. He says we need to think broadly, more broadly than that. And we need to sow more widely, and we keep thinking, oh, i got to bring more people into my life. He says, no, don't think that way. He says, think of the fact that there are people that you're crossing paths with that you don't think are people where you could be sowing. And you say, well, I don't have more time for more people. And he says, a better approach, he says, is to be friendly, to be interested in everyone you come across during the day. You'll come across dozens of people each day you naturally have interaction with. It isn't about putting more people into your life. Listen to this. It's about genuinely seeing more of the people that are a part of your daily routine. Who are, for the most of us, no more than scenery and sometimes intrusions into our daily life. It means that seeing people involves interacting with them, acknowledging them. He says, I've been thinking about this as I'm writing this chapter. He says, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the airport. And he says, I'm standing around all these people. He says, I've noticed that when I'm friendly, when I'm polite to people, i.e. when I'm greeting them, when I initiate, when I have a smile on my face, and I'm acting interested in other people, their whole demeanor changes. Sorry, may not work in New York City all the time. Okay, there may be some exceptions to this, okay? At this moment, he says, I'm noticing in this airport, it's amazing how a few words of kindness and courtesy will brighten someone's day, leading to more opportunities for a significant conversation. Then he says this, we sow widely the seeds of the gospel by intentional interaction with people around us. And then he speaks my language, which I am ashamed to admit is the way I think. He says, it's hard in a world where personal interaction is being eliminated. I'm a person, he says, who likes to get things done. People get in my way. They slow me down. I often do everything I can to avoid interacting with people so I can what? Get the work done of being a pastor. I gas up and pay outside with my credit card. I get cash from the ATM machine. I even go to the self-checkout lane to avoid slow and inefficient clerks. I zip through my to-do list so I can get to my office, close the door, begin strategizing how I can reach my community with the gospel. <laughs> then he goes on to say, does anybody see a problem with this? You know, and he says, those of us in Philadelphia, he says, are you kidding me? That doesn't seem to add up, does it? I've been rebuked. I've been challenged to prepare a sermon on greet one another with a holy kiss. has just sort of come down to my world to say, hey man, how's the gospel changing how you view other people? He says, instead of being efficient, quote unquote, do exactly the opposite. Go out of your way to interact with people. Stop paying for gas at the pump. Go inside and pay. Oh, that's hard for me to do. If you do this, you could have a worldwide ministry. 
At the gas stations, convenience stores I frequent, there are Moroccans, Pakistanis, Sikhs from India, Mexicans, Guatemalans, just to name a few of the cultural backgrounds. I don't have to go halfway around the world to have an international ministry. All I have to do is walk inside and pay for the gas. It's almost as if you put on new glasses of seeing a whole new way of doing the routine of everyday life with a passion for the gospel that says... God has welcomed a wretched, helpless sinner like me with his arms of grace. Lord, give me an open door today to greet somebody and be your agent of grace to them. Will you be that person? Let's pray. Father, I don't know where you are addressing our hearts, what issue it is. For some of us, Lord, we've been challenged today to whether or not we really ever come to Christ. We've been reminded what kind of reception we'll receive from Christ. If we truly repent, if we admit we need help, if we stop trying harder and just come and surrender, believe in Christ. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today, may they come to you even today. May they know the glories of being welcomed by our precious Savior in his arms of grace. And Lord, those of us who have known that embrace and who continue to know it every day, I pray that you would make me, make all of us, agents of your grace, gospel grace, welcoming people around us, greeting people around us, within our church family, and even broader than that, Lord, may it not be said of this people here in this church that there are people who avoid each other and who don't speak to each other. Lord, may it be said that we are a people who go out of our way to be sure that we've communicated that we value, we appreciate, we receive everybody who's here. Young, old, male, female, rich or poor, no matter who they are, Lord, we thank you that your gospel of grace is so welcoming to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.